Hello, welcome to episode two of the Drowning Sound podcast. Thank you so much to the people that shared and sent nice comments about episode one with Naomi Pohl from Musicians Union. If you've not listened to that yet, you can obviously find that in our feed. I am Sean Adams, the host of the Drowning Sound podcast. And for the second episode, I thought I would do something which I don't know why we never really did more of this in the past. So Drowning Sound had a record label back in the year 2003, primarily because the artists we really liked didn't have records out. We were putting on their gigs and we really loved them and we were like, oh, I love independent labels. Maybe I could try starting my own one. So I did. And the first thing we put out was by a band called The Koreans, then a band called The Kaiser Chiefs, who some of you may have heard of. Um, And Bat Flashes, Emmy the Great, Blood Red Shoes, Metric, Martha Wainwright, Branderson from Suede, Youth Movies, Jenny Forever, or Yenny Forever, I should pronounce it correctly, shouldn't I be in their record record label, Um, Red Jetson, and I think that was everything, and if I've forgotten someone, they are going to hate me. Hopefully they will forgive me, I'm sure they will forgive me. And yeah, so with the Drowning Sound label, we put out lots of singles, and we had what I called a singles club, which I loved, the Fierce Panda Singles Club, which launched like Coldplay's career. I love the Sub Pop Singles Club, which launched Nirvana's career, and Mud Honey, and like loads of other cool stuff. And I just really like the idea of bringing that back, but also bringing together the feeling that, well, actually the discovery that I got from cover mounts on magazines. So you'd get cassettes or CDs on the front of magazines, and I really just loved the fact that the journalists had put stuff together. It would often not be stuff that was as radio-friendly as stuff on the radio, and sometimes it would be artists who had only just started out or sometimes it'd be a sampler of a record label i really loved in record shops when you bought 20 pounds worth of cds that you could get a free label sampler i really liked that all the punk labels when i was growing up put out compilations too the long story short is i'm trying to do that again and the very first release from the new drowning sound label is by faith verne who was in a band called pins and if you read Drown and Sound over the years, you will probably know that we were very big fans of Pins. They released one of their first records on Belly Union that we absolutely adored. They've self-released a few records on their own House of Pins label. They're brilliant. Three albums that are full of exquisite punk rock. They are Girl Gang from Manchester and Faith is cool as hell, basically. <laughs> That's the shortest way of describing it. They've played various Drown and Sound curated festival bills over the year over the years I particularly remember seeing them at Candom Crawl um, and just been absolutely blown away like they'd really hit their stride and everything about them was just just like super cool so yeah so Faith has started a solo project under the guise of the Fofo like faux leather um, and I absolutely adored what she sent me I met her I've met her briefly over the years, but I met her properly when she was singing with Iggy Pop at Maida Bell Studios. I was working for Six Music at the time, doing their social media things, and I just got chatting to Faith, and we got chatting over Instagram at one point, and she mentioned that she was working on some solo stuff, and I said, love to hear it, I'm thinking of starting my label, and here we are. I am going to introduce you to Faith, or rather, she is going to introduce you to herself. And I hope that each month, with each of the artists that are on the singles club we'll have an opportunity to introduce you to them and hopefully we'll discover a new favorite artist over the next few months it's just be one a month i'm um, in amongst interviews where i will be 
talking to big names and people about big ideas, often in the same interview, I hope. (laughs) I mean, talking to a big name with small ideas could be a concept. Anyway, I am rambling and you want to get into the podcast. One super quick thing to note, if you're not from the UK or if you don't follow politics, at one point I mentioned someone called Jacob Rees-Mogg. He is a UK politician who lives in Victorian times and you may have heard of him. He loves Brexit and he doesn't really seem to think that anybody can work from home. So when I talk about presenteeism and people not turning up to work or being present in the actual place, that's what I'm referring to. In this episode, Faith also talks a little bit about some of her collaborators, and I'm going to put together a Spotify playlist so you can listen to all of the people referenced in the credits. So, welcome to the second edition of the Drowning Sound podcast. I am Faith Vern from the FOFO. You have crossed the bridge from pins to a new solo project. Can you describe the process of transition between where you were, where some people would know pins and where you are now? And maybe maybe tell people that don't know who pins are a little bit about the band. So pins is the band that I was in for a decade before doing this project. And we played our last show at Kendall Calling. Um, summer last year and I think musically I've actually maybe gone a step backwards with the songwriting and maybe going a bit back to more of an original sound that I was using at the start of Pins more so than where it ended up. Um, My desire for the Fofo is to write songs that can be played on you know, any instrument and still sound like a good song at the heart of it. Like that's what I'm aiming for. So you talked about what it's, what you started out sounding like and what you finished sounding like. Mm -hmm. Um, Where you finished was raucous and fun and you were playing like the main stage of Reading and big festival shows. To what extent do you think the platform that you're able to grow with the band changed the sound? Because like there's that amazing David Byrne book about how architecture has changed the history of music and how like a violin sounds different in a church to what it sounds like in CBGBs and like birds change the way they sing for different environments and things. To what extent did you start out kind of making stuff quite homemade and then finding yourself in these big spaces and writing to the spaces you were in? Um, some of that, I think the main, the main difference was the introduction of synths <laughs> to the band. And you know, you, you just can't go back from that then. So that had a huge influence. Um, our guitar player, Lois, she, um, you know, got a huge interest in synths and that worked its way into the music. Um, and I Is think that like your Dylan Goes Electric moment? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> and it definitely served its, its purpose of making the live show like full of energy and more of a party and having like people up on stage with us. And I think now it's not that I don't want to have a party. Of course I do. But I just want to be able to like take that step back that it doesn't always have to be going at, you know, 100%, 100 miles an hour all of the time. <laughs> the the thing that I hear the difference um, is a human being expressing something versus a gang expressing something. I don't know why I always think of pins as more of a gang than a group. 
Um, I don't yeah. know if it's just me. And I don't know if maybe there's a line in one of your songs that's probably implanted that in my brain. But um, I think we've always referred to ourselves as a gang from the very beginning. So probably somewhere in there is where you may have heard that. And I think that it's it's very true. And somebody said to me on um, like on Facebook, you know, like when someone can just comment on it. And it was it said something about like how they've never heard me being vulnerable. And it really stuck with me. Like usually I see these things, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Um, but it really stuck with me. And I thought, God, it, like I don't think I ever have or I've ever given anything like from, you know, I've always been writing something um, just as an overview of like looking at a situation and it might be, it's always like we this, we that, you know, rather than I and me. So then yeah that led me into like looking more into lyrics and what they mean to people and into different like poetry and going down that route as well and just thinking like what do I want to say about my life at this time and maybe I just wasn't confident to say about my life when I was in pins because maybe I thought who cares (laughs) whereas this (laughs) has been definitely more of a project now you must care (laughs) (laughs) yeah This is a project that just that started out just for me anyway, like, you know, meeting yourself has taken it to the next level for releasing music. But initially it wasn't necessarily like on my radar. I just wanted to do something for myself. And it's interesting that you talked about a kind of the way a comment online can sometimes niggle. And mm. um, I mean, I've definitely seen like criticisms of Drowning Sound that I've thought my skin was thick enough not to take in but actually sometimes those comments can have quite a profound impact because I guess the thing that was fun about pins is that it was quite empowered and it was strong and it's like there probably wasn't much room in that kind of very cool cluster of sounds to suddenly break down into a piano ballad because it would have whereabouts would you put it in the sets for a start yeah and it felt a lot, because we were a group, that you can't make it about yourself and you're very conscious of the other people that are there and you want to express something that means something to all of you rather than, you know, your individual thoughts and feelings on something. So, and it's not that I ever thought that at the time, it's only reflecting on it now that you can see how, how you know, there's the potential to always be writing from that group mentality i noticed actually with a lot of artists social media accounts like the projects where they're kind of more of a solo project presented as a band like you see one personality really lead the band's communications but when it's a really defined group often bands don't say anything like i i was a bit critical around the start of the ukraine war because i hardly saw any musicians saying anything like i saw comedians and actors and all sorts of people speaking up about the war but and it started to dawn on me, it's like, oh, well, maybe as a band, do you want to have a phone call or a WhatsApp chat with the rest of the group to check? Are we okay to like post a fundraiser? Yeah. Um, I guess at some level, you've then got to send it to the person at the record company to share and because yeah. you don't run your own accounts and stuff. Um, but that's a whole separate topic. Um, so I guess there's a couple of things that Pin's done that, if you were to open up your Wikipedia and be a lazy journalist, they'd probably be the first thing that I would ask you. Um, so I will be a lazy journalist and ask you. <laughs> um, 
So you've collaborated with both Iggy Pop and Maxine Peak. Yeah. Um, how did the process of working with other people like that sort of change the way in which you talk and think about music and maybe how you've internally processed the things you create? Um, you know, I've not, I haven't really thought about that question so mm. much. I suppose, for instance, with Maxine Peak, we just knew how well she would. It was more about her voice and with Iggy Pop too. It's like, who would have the voice for this? Mm. So we just asked them and it just came about and it was cool. Like, mm. <laughs> there really wasn't too much depth to it yeah uh, i don't think the process was any different um it definitely in both cases it was very organic because like with iggy the song i wrote the music for the song and then months later my husband wrote the lyrics for agrophobe and then we presented it to pins which is not a way that we ever work like you know we always write our own songs apart from on this one <laughs> Um, and then it was like, oh, who could we get to do, who could we get to do the vocals? And then we all were like, oh my God, it'd be so cool if it was Iggy. And then it just kind of worked out. So it's not as though there's, it wasn't too premeditated or anything. Mm. Um, and you've done quite a lot of film work, which again, like it just, when you was talking, when you started, you started talking about how your music's changed and evolved. And I, I wondered to what extent writing to a brief rather than writing to a kind of band template started to change the way in which you were thinking about the kind of music you're creating. Um, well, it's much easier to write to a brief, that's for sure. Mm. Um, because you know what the client wants and you just need to try and deliver that. Um, but the practice of doing that and of doing different types of music has definitely like helped me be able to streamline the process of writing my own songs. Um, really, I got into that. Probably it was like during during Pins, we got signed with Just Isn't Music and did some sync work, and then I think it was so I had a baby, and then it was lockdown. And it was like, okay, how, you know, what can I do? So I just started taking it a little bit more seriously. Um, I could work from home. I could do it in my own time. I could do it around my uh, children and everything. Um, and then now, you know, like just making more connections, meeting more producers, which is how I met the producer who did the Cold Hearted Woman track. Mm -hmm. It just opened up a new world. Um, can't remember what the original question was. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it was. It probably was more of a. It's probably more of a comment than a question. <laughs> um, so let's let's obviously begin to talk about the track um, because I'm excited that we finally get to share it with people. Yeah. At the time of recording, we've got a couple of weeks, but by the time this comes out, um, the people would be able to start hearing it. So you touched then on um, motherhood and the kind of the themes around the song, I guess. Um, there's probably connections to where you were psychologically. Um, so tell me, tell me where you were at when you started writing this song and what you were trying to construct. So I'd moved away from the city and it was locked down. It was, you know, obviously we're all going through that, being isolated, not speaking to anyone, not seeing anybody really. 
um, I had um, a small child and another baby on the way. So it was all quite overwhelming with the state of just the whole world, everything. And just being in the countryside now, looking back, mm. it was a bit of a mistake. But it did like... But having having lived in like the centre of Manchester, also quite central Manchester. Mm, yeah, so just being somewhere where, you know, just being away from everything and having time to reflect and just weighing up my situation. It just got me thinking about suburbia and traditional roles, um, like housewife, the wife, housewife role, um... And that's kind of where I started writing from. And that's how Cold Hearted Woman came about. Um, and it's just, just commenting on that, like when your mind, you know, you might not be in the most sound mind because you've got no sleep, you've got small children, the world was falling to pieces. <laughs> and you can, you know, you can... Well, the industry you worked in was imploding as well, so... Yeah, like who knew if we were ever going to be able to tour again or do any of those things that we loved. Um, and I think it, a lot of us were just walking that, like, in between, hoping that you, you know, hoping that you can stay on the tightrope and not fall off <laughs> into the oblivion, <laughs> whatever that means to you. Didn't the last Pins record come out just as lockdown sort of began and you postponed tours and all those kind of things? Yeah, we managed to do one tour in the February of 2020, which was kind of a pre-album tour, just trying out the material. Um, and then the whole world shut down and we were like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Because we were supposed to go to America and everything and like do press over there and tour. And we were like, you know what, let's just release it anyway, because I don't think if we hadn't have released it then, I don't think we ever would, because once you've sat on it for that long, you'd be like, oh, you know, I'd like to change this or, you know, so it just felt like, let's just get it out there. And then it ended up being the last, <laughs> the last <laughs> record. So, um, so you sort of talk, touched on there whereabouts you were psychologically like you talked about roles and I'm I'm curious, like you've mentioned to me a few of the different, I guess not role models, but there's sort of like people in literature, music, fashion, photography, like people in the creative industries that, that maybe might have been a source of where the other templates, because obviously we've got these very stereotyp stereotypical templates of what um, a housewife may be, for instance, mm. whereabouts and it's, I guess within the context of this song, whereabouts was your kind of head at? So we've been looking at Sylvia Plath and we've got something lined up with to celebrate her and her life and her work. Um, and I think that idea initially came because it's not even necessarily being inspired by Sylvia Plath's poetry, although it is very inspiring for a lot of people. Can't hear that, can you? It's, it'd be fine. <laughs> it's also, it's like, isn't that just your synthesizer booting up in the background? <laughs> I'm gonna, oh, we, we, we can probably run a competition to see if anyone can guess what the noise was. <laughs> I don't even know if there was someone outside. But... You a... <laughs> um, <laughs> what was I saying? Yes. So you're not necessarily the poetry of Sylvia Plath, but just looking at her life and her personality and her struggles and that going between being feeling normal and going crazy for want of better words but just that kind of 
that's headspace that we might be able to relate to. And, you know, with the project, it's somewhere in between, like, it's fact and fiction. It's not, it's bits of this and bits of that. It's not, it's not all true. Sometimes it's just exploring the idea of something. But looking at people like her, you know, just, it's just a, just a shocking image. Is it like a suicide by a head in the oven? Mm. But so, I don't know how many people thought about like, and I know it's dark, but ending their own lives during lockdown. Like, there's just so much to unpack. I don't know how yeah. to go into <laughs> it right now. The, uh, we just scratch, we just scratch the edges of it. I, I guess the question that could be an offensive question to ask, but if you've been referred to as a cold-hearted woman ever, is that is that where you were like, are you are you holding it to your chest as a thing to be um, celebrated or like characters that are not kind of given their kind of space in the world? I think a cold-hearted woman, it's not just me. It's It's a character that a lot of women in particular would be able to relate to um i suppose if you don't conform to what is what you're supposed to be in society then you can just be called you might not be called a cold-hearted woman but it's like oh you're a bitch or you know oh you're a slut for (laughs) whatever reason and it's just it's just become a bit of a joke to me that women are treated in this way but it's not a joke it's you know it's serious sorry the noise (laughs) The um, it's 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 plath coming from. <laughs> yeah. I think it's actually my husband putting shelves up in the garage. How boring um, is that? <laughs> um, the uh, the division of labour there. How come you're not doing the shelves? <laughs> do you know what? I told him to leave it, and I said I will do it, and he's just gone yeah. ahead and done it. So you know that's on him, not me. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. In in that term, like I hadn't thought about the fact that it's actually a really polite way of saying "bitch" as a title of a song. Like it's yeah. like a, <laughs> um. So let's let's take people into some of the detail of the track a bit because obviously when you open up streaming services or press play on YouTube, you don't always get to know kind of what's being played and um who's who you worked with. So tell us a little bit about the instruments on the track, like what sort of sounds like maybe a little bit about the producer and how you got working together. Yes, so the producer, well producers, should I say, was um Paul Rawson and Jamie Hall. Um Paul is someone and you and me. Yeah. <laughs> um Paul is someone that I met through Just Isn't Music doing sync songs and we just got on really well uh and started working on some tracks together. And then Jamie is from Tiger Cub and Nancy. Um, and I just absolutely loved the Nancy record that came out a couple of years ago. Um, and I was like, I just really want to get some of those sounds or some of his expertise. I don't know. I just thought it'd be fun as well to work with him. Um, and a lot of it was recorded remotely Um you know, like I was doing vocals up here myself and they were doing the drums and the bass and the guitars and stuff in the studio down there just because we couldn't manage to get together just our, like I've had to do a lot of work just from home to be around my children. Mm. Um, 
Which in a way, a remote studio is quite liberating. Yeah, I think people have just learned a new way, probably since lockdown. Another way that we can still work on whatever it is we want to work on, but without being in the same room. And I think it, you know, it does lose that like camaraderie and vibe, energy, whatever you want to call it, sometimes. But for this, I did not expect you to agree with Jacob Rees Mogg. (laughs) (laughs) Presenteeism is important. (laughs) I think for some things it can be important. However, in this particular project, it's all about isolation and being in your own head. So it actually worked perfectly. I think, and like we probably gained more than we would have if we'd got gotten together, and also just being a bit private about it as well. Like, I'm happy to discuss lyrics and things with you now, but I think when I was writing them and everything, I didn't really want to like chat about it or be too exposed with it. You know, it felt like a bit more personal and private. I often think that about solo projects. Um... Like I've read a fair bit about Elliot Smith and how he worked and how his music changed when he went into studios. And you can obviously hear the huge difference to very sad man on his own playing solo guitar um, versus being in a big studio with strings and things and how sonically and lyrically and probably emotionally that changes things. Mm. I'm curious whether you, you talked a little bit about the type of music changing and I wonder to what, to what extent having that space to yourself and not being in a studio and having a laugh with the the rest of pins like allowed you to maybe feel more comfortable expressing some of those things as well yeah i I think some of the other tracks that i've written for this project are probably not ones that i would ever have presented to um my friends band members Mm. in pins (laughs) um you know maybe that's just because i would feel maybe they're too personal or like I'd be thinking, you know, it's not the right style. I'm not sure what that that reason is, but I know that I wouldn't have shared them. And I think that Cold Hearted Woman is a bit of an in-between track because, you know, it could be a pin song. <laughs> it's not too far away from that. But um, I think, you know, some of the rest of the project is going a bit further down a path that's um, just m- way more personal to me. Um it's interesting what you say about Elliot Smith and it, it kind of reminds me of like the predicament that musicians often end up in, which is, you know, the demo, the demo being better than the end song or be just being stuck on this like version, this original raw version, which as you know, was an issue <laughs> with this song too. <laughs> I think we got there in the end. but <laughs> Yeah. A full confession. I absolutely adored the demo version. And um, when you first send the track across, I was like, I like it. I was like, and then I listened back to the demo version. I was like, I still love it. And it's like the, um, which is people in the industry call demoitis, isn't it? It's like you've become so attached to something yeah. that, um, which it not to say that like now where you, where the track ended up, I sent you so many notes after I first heard it. Oh, well, I mean, there's a lot of the demo on the final track yeah. now. Like th- I think the drums are pretty much like a, quite a bit of demo drums mm. and even the vocal takes, like some of it is from the demo. Just, I think if you just catch that thing, then that's what you've got to go with. And I think trying to, I don't remember now which Oasis album it was. Maybe it is definitely maybe. And they recorded it, you know, the first yeah, time. No, with, I think they recorded one of them with like a completely different producer and it just did not have the vibe. <laughs> so they just redid the whole thing again. 
I can't remember the whole story, but you know, well, you can tell by the time they got to be here now, and it was just like I don't think they could even hear the record for the mindset they were in. Yeah, it's like what have you done? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so we started touching upon some of the people involved in the track. You um you had a you invited a small choir in as well, didn't you? Yeah. So keeping it in the family. So we had um, Victoria Thomas, who's uh, who I use to do my makeup quite a lot. She did my makeup in the Cold Hearted Woman video and in some of the press pictures. And she was backing vocalist in Pins as well. Um, she's got the most gorgeous voice. She's in See Through Hands too. Um. So yes, I asked her to sing. And then Sam Seth, who does the indie choir. Uh, again, just amazing, gorgeous voice. And I've played, she did like a Pins Christmas show with us um, the year before last, I think it was. Um, and then Caroline, she was in the 1234s, a band from Manchester. Again, just an incredible voice. And I got them all down and we had a little day of recording their beautiful backing vocals and it was all very um t-rex gospel backing vocals <laughs> inspired <laughs> and we just had a really good time and i think that's when you know you really see the benefit of getting together in real life and it not being remote yeah jacob Rees-Mogg is right about one thing <laughs> <laughs> one thing <laughs> um so you're at a point now where you've created this track you've started working on i guess an album body of work some songs how yeah. are you thinking about them as as kind of a kind of as a project whereabouts do you think you are i'm just writing songs and keeping them in a folder and then we will see i want to release like a couple of singles and see how it how it all sits maybe do an ep and obviously i would love to do an album um but the landscape has changed a lot from when I first started doing pins releases. Mm. Um, it felt very much like, you know, you might do a single leading into an album or, you know, doing an EP and it being on vinyl. And then now I'm not so sure. Like, I don't even know. I don't know how it all works. I just think I'm... I'm pretending I know how it works because that's why I started a label. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping you know, so... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, um, but just to enjoy it, I just want to put some music out and in whatever capacity that is. Because I think that's that's where my head's at at the moment is trying to figure out the like sustainability, not just in terms of the environment, but in terms of artists' careers and the amount of money that gets spent in the industry on things which don't end up making their money back like we could press 500 vinyl of like we could make seven inches of the single and it'd be a lovely thing to do mm -hmm. but it'd be a bit like blue monday we'd be losing money almost on every copy we'd need to make like three thousand or something for it to be yeah. kind of a worthwhile and kind of financial endeavor um which is not to say that folly is not a great thing to do um in fact we we went to hebden bridge a few weeks ago to um record a little pilgrimage that we'll be sharing um and we drove past what apparently is the was at one point the largest folly in Europe, and I looked up what a folly is at the time, um, and uh, at least the the director looked it up, and the the word is so such an odd thing. It's just like something built with no purpose. <laughs> 
But it's just found like the perfect example of the music industry. And um, it was just, anyway, I don't know why I started rambling about that, but. And um, I think that it's okay. I think it's okay to do that. Like, of course, right now, we, all of us, you know, we can't throw away money. You know, everything's just a little bit crazy. But, um, you know, if you can do something just for the sake of art or pleasure, then what's yeah. right, you know, I think that's always a good thing. Yeah. The, uh, well, I'm glad I didn't do this podcast is the art that I suggested beforehand, which was I was just going to ask you repeatedly, what's it like to be a woman in music? <laughs> I can give you to all answer of the, the answers. question. <laughs> answer the question, Jeremy Paxman style. <laughs> I don't even know if I can remember. It's, it's become like a parody of itself, the whole. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, what's it like to be a cold-hearted woman in music might be the question you're going to get asked now. Well, I could just tell you to go fuck yourself, really. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, How about that? <laughs> I think that is the exclamation mark at the end of the interview. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed episode two of the Drown and Sound podcast. If you want to hear the song, just search for cold-hearted woman by the fofo and you'll find the video either on youtube or the song on spotify drop it onto one of your playlists and maybe listen to it at a later date if you've not got time to listen to it right now there will be an episode like this each month with a different artist coming out of the drown and sound singles club and coming up over the coming weeks there are some very helpful things if you're a musician or if you're trying to work out to use tiktok yourself there's a look at AI and how that is revolutionizing music and whether we should be terrified of it and how best to embrace it and use it as like an assistant and all those kind of things. Um, I've got quite a lot of other ideas up my sleeve. I'm waiting for some big artists to confirm that have responded to my DMs. So I just need to work out when those are going to take place. Thanks again for listening. I've been Sean Adams. You can message me at Sean in Sound and speak to you next time. Bye.